Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. The attention deficit that most people are under because of technology, because of the busyness of our lives, this is one of the last holdouts in terms of non-passive attention. This is aggressive attention. The lean forward aspect of listening to a podcast, whether you're walking, whether you're commuting, whether you're driving, it's very difficult for you to do anything else and really engage. That's why it's beginning to take off because radio has been around forever. What's making it so special that podcasting is just now taking off is because there are fewer distractions for that message to get to the audience. I'm Bobby Leehu, the Chief Content Officer at CommonSkew, and in today's episode, Mark Graham, CommonSkew's Chief Platform Officer, sits down to interview me. For the record, this was not voluntary. He insisted, and he can be pretty persistent. But I turned the tables on him and interviewed Mark as well. We've both been podcasting for several years now in various capacities. Together, we explore the topic of business podcasting. Is this something you should consider, and if so, why and how? Tim Page, host of the Conversation Cast, said that a podcast is a great way to develop relationships with hard-to-reach people. Mark and I have discovered it's also a great way to cultivate shared passions, engage entrepreneurs, and build a stronger community around the topics that matter the most. We discuss some of the how-tos, cite some of our favorite business and non-business podcasts, and more. And by the way, as I record this, we are less than two weeks away from Cominsky University held at the PPAI Expo on Monday, January 15th in Ballroom L in the Mandalay Bay Convention Center. CommonSkew University is a hands-on way to learn more about CommonSkew, the application, and includes classes such as 10 Ways to Grow Supplier Sales on CommonSkew, How CRM Helps Distributors Ignite Sales and Retain Customers, also Hacks, New Features, and The Road Ahead, and finally, a session introducing promo standards and how it will save distributors and suppliers time. CommonSkew University is free for anyone to attend. You can register at commonskew.com university. And now, to today's episode, where Mark Graham kicks off our discussion. Bobby, why is podcasting an important medium today for businesses? You recommended a book called Out on the Wire after you saw Ira Glass speak in Toronto. And the book is by Jessica Abel. She said this, a quote, radio, especially public radio and the podcasts that have sprung from it is the most fertile ground for narrative nonfiction in English language media. And so when you think that we are compelled by story as a society and as, as individuals, if podcasting is the most fertile ground for narrative nonfiction, it makes perfect sense that businesses, nonprofits, that anyone would be involved in this medium because it's intimate. Businesses can make intimate connections through this medium that they can't face-to-face. I actually believe that. How about the argument for a business that says, that's great, but It sounds like a lot of work. Why don't we engage another channel? Like most things with marketing, with branding and purpose and vision, what people really want, they want an easier linear path. And with something like this, it's more like a zigzag path. If you took a 20,000 foot view and you looked down at the path, it would still get to its destination. It just took a lot more zigs and zags to get there. But the the interesting thing is it's a compelling journey. That's a little bit different. What we don't know yet, because we're just now, I mean, when you think about the, the nascent industry of podcasting as we see it now, we're just now getting into analytical tools that let us unpack what's going on with these recordings. So we're just really beginning to understand the impact on brands. Well, and and I know I was playing devil's advocate by asking that question, but I think that you're, you're exactly right that the, the 
storytelling aspect of a podcast is so unique, right? Like you, you can write a story in a blog post yeah, or right. you can tell a story in a video and the way that you interact with that content is going to be unique to that particular medium, right? So reading uh, or watching, right. whereas listening is, is not something that uh, you really see in business communications, um, at least until recently with podcasting. And I think that the ability to interact through a story lends itself so well to the audio medium. And at the end of the day, if you can engage a business customer yeah. with a great story that inspires them or helps them solve a problem, if you're able to do that and you're able to keep a listener engaged, that's an incredible marketing opportunity. Right. Think of how many have struggled to get our customers' attention. And this is the most lean forward listening medium Absolutely. available. Absolutely. They're putting their hand up and they're subscribing to the content and they're listening to it while driving. They're right. listening to it while going for a run. They're listening to it while walking. And yeah. of course, if the content isn't good, they're going to skip past it. But if it engages, it certainly gives you the power to captivate a customer and or the power to captivate a prospect usually will lead to engaging a customer down the road. One more thought on this, Mark. The attention deficit that most people are under because of technology, because of the busyness of our lives, this is one of the last holdouts in terms of non-passive attention. This is aggressive attention. The lean forward aspect of listening to a podcast, whether you're walking, whether you're commuting, whether you're driving, it's very difficult for you to do anything else and really engage. That's why I think it's beginning to take off is not just the fact that because radio has been around forever. What's making it so special that podcasting is just now taking off is because there are fewer distractions yep. for that yep, message exactly. to get to the audience. How do you prepare for an interview? The normal things one would do, Google searches, social profiles, interviews that the guest might have done before. We had one interview with a guest who in a YouTube video talked about this big initiative they launched. And I saw this YouTube video because I was doing some research on the guest. I asked about it and the guest was surprised that I asked about it and said that the initiative failed. So it made for an interesting moment because as Ira Glass would say, the guest came to a conclusion you wouldn't expect. Right. Had I not done that homework, I would not have discovered a particular part of that story. So most of the typical things you would suspect, I know bigger shows will obviously listen and read all the interviews they've done with a guest before because they don't want to repeat a lot of the questions so they can they can hold on to that spontaneity. So Mark, how do you prepare for an interview? The way that I prepare for an interview is not dissimilar to the way that you do. I think that uh, good research is really important. I think that good research allows you to establish a connection and to show empathy for mm -hmm. the person that you're interviewing. And I think when you're able to, to do that, you're able to put the guest at ease. And so I think that I'm probably more focused on ways that I can connect with the guest and show that I understand his or her world. So that way they're really going to open up and give a good answer that's going to generate value for the person who's listening. Yeah. I'll try to form an opinion about something that the guest feels strongly about or an opinion around a, a big macro trend that's being discussed. And I think if you're able to do that, then you're not necessarily setting it up for a debate, but at least you can then come across as someone who is more than just a person asking questions that you can then offer your perspective and sometimes represent the conscience of the audience. I think that's really important. Yeah. And I think that those are some of the hallmarks of a good interviewer. Um, I've certainly learned those tips and tricks from other people who are far more accomplished than me. Those areas of preparation are super important whenever I'm doing an interview.
Let's get into the nuts and bolts. All right. What gear do you use yourself to record a podcast? So let me know about, you know, mics, uh, your recording environment, uh, all that stuff. I use a Blue Yeti microphone, the pop filter. I use Audio-Technica ATH M50Xs. These are professional studio monitor headphones. Not that I need professional studio monitor headphones, but it helps. Yep. We record the episodes using Zencaster. I edit in GarageBand, which isn't the most sophisticated platform for this, but I'm used to it. Some of the tools that don't seem important but are critically important, Google Docs for questions, for the bio, for the rough draft, and always pen and paper for during the interview so you don't clack on the keyboard when you have a thought or we need to make a note. Yes. I mean, that's pretty bare bones. I think that some newbies in the world of podcasting might be surprised to know that the gear requirements are actually pretty minimal. Right. A, the cost of all that stuff is, you know, under $1,000. Oh, yeah. Easy. Yeah. So, Bobby, walk me through what's involved post-interview when it comes to editing. Talk to me about your process, how you use GarageBand specifically to edit out an interview. What's beautiful about, about Zencaster is that it will record the separate tracks and you can export each voice so that if you have to get in and do any work on each voice, you can do that. But they also have a built-in post-processing tool that cleans up some of audio that may be a little rough. So that already brings it into something like GarageBand or your editing tool to clean it up fairly well. That's a really nice little touch. From there, the real work begins once you've finished the recording. Right. So you spend your time structuring questions, contacting, making schedules, getting everything on the front end right, doing the actual recording, and then the real work begins, which is a little surprising because th that's where I think the magic really happens yeah. is post-interview. Yes. Once you import this into your processing tool, this is where storytelling is editing. So walk me through that. What do you, what do you specifically mean? What I mean by that is it's your job as an editor to rescue the rambly bits. People rarely communicate in a clear, linear fashion. So they use words to chase words. They speak parenthetically. They complete thoughts that were uttered 20 minutes earlier. It's your job in processing then to close the gaps and bridge these seemingly disconnected thoughts they have together and construct a narrative that flows. One of the lessons I learned listening to Ira Glass and This American Life and their producers, they're very proud of what's on the cutting room floor. They're proud of what never makes it to air because they protected the integrity of the story. So once you, to get technical about this, then once you're inside, you have two kinds of editing going on. You have technical editing that will cut out things like the sound, the buzz, the harshness around the audio file itself. So that doesn't impede yep. the listener's experience. But then you also have the ums and the ahs and every speaker, no matter who they are, every speaker has some kind of nervous tick about them or some kind of uniqueness to the way they talk that might need to be edited out so it's not a stumbling block for the listener. So you have that kind of editing that's more technical, but then you have true editing from a storytelling perspective where you're cutting out material that shouldn't be there. I've recorded interviews with folks that last for 40 minutes and you can almost print the whole thing as it is. And you've done this too, Mark. You've done many of these. And then I've had conversations with folks that can be two hours and you're trying to get 30 minutes out of it. Not because they didn't have enough to say, right. it's because they had too much to say. They had so much good to say. You're trying to compress this into something that people are going to right. listen to for right. 30 to 45 minutes. So are there any models that you use when, or a roadmap, I should say, that you use when you're trying to put together a story from, let's say, an interviewee that, as you say, has lots to say, or maybe that's a polite way of saying that they're rambly or maybe not getting to the point. How do you stitch that together? I mean, I know that you made a comment on Instagram a little while ago where oftentimes 
the speaker will start their point and then actually finish their point 25 minutes later because they're either not organized in their thinking or they may be very organized in their thinking, but they just present information in a way that might be confusing to the average listener. Right. Or is it just a matter of just listening to it and then just putting it all up in a board and then just trying to remember the time signatures and, right. and, and all that? Literally, you're going in and splicing out parts of the conversation and maybe sometimes even stitching it together. So there was an episode we recorded. One of my favorite episodes we recorded was with Casey Shore with Printfection. Yes. It was a great episode because and Casey was on point the whole time. But the problem was his host. I had questions that occurred to me later in the interview. So he was fully prepared and he executed wonderfully. But his host decided to ask questions that were that were sparked later in the interview. So what I did was I took those questions and answers and then stitched them toward the front of the interview. And you cannot tell, otherwise I would never have printed it, that that occurred later in the conversation. But it was such a good nugget of information right. that tied to the first part of the story. It was important to, to move it up there. Right. And as long as right. that doesn't get in the way of the reality that the listener's hearing, then, then that's okay. So there's little things right. like that going on all the time. You're not just cutting out the so-called unimportant parts or boring parts, you're you're really just trying to make sure that you're creating a narrative that flows from one topic to the other. Right. And I mean, you can also use other tactics like putting in a narration. So if it wasn't so much a question, it may be a narration that you throw in there and then your comment is then supported by what he just had to say. So right. you certainly see that on, let's say, a How I Built This. Like that's a great podcast that does, does that very, very well and is very well produced, even though it comes across like it's just a conversation yeah. between two people in a coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Okay. So g- getting back to the tactical side here, what publishing platform do you use for your podcasts? SoundCloud. Talk to the podcast newbie in terms of what SoundCloud mm-hmm. allows you to do. There's different podcasting hosts like SoundCloud and Libsyn. Am I pronouncing that right? I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. Libsyn. I think so, yeah. That allow you to host your files there. You can use even something like, I think it's Blueberry for WordPress that we've used yeah. in the past. Mark, you and I have done this a while, so we've experimented with a lot of things. SoundCloud will allow you to host your raw audio file in the cloud so that it can then, almost like a distrib- distribution center, then be sent via RSS feed to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcast listening platforms are out there. So it's more like a distribution vehicle for your raw audio file. So then you can subscribe to your podcast on, say, iTunes or on Podcast Republic or Stitcher or right. uh, Pocket Casts or really anywhere you like to get your podcasts. SoundCloud, if I understand what you're saying, will distribute those episodes to all those different platforms via RSS technology. Correct. Easy, isn't it? <laughs> it really is actually it's it's so simple i mean you've got you've got kids posting the music they're creating in their garage on soundcloud so it's that simple it's really just a matter of once you it's like most technology once you develop the muscle memory it just becomes habit and it's just not a problem right. at all it's very easy um okay analytics tools how do you know whether your podcast or in this case you could talk specifically about skewcast because that's what you know you're heading heading the charge on how do you know whether an episode has been successful beyond just straight listens Mm, good question so there's a couple of embarrassing answers i have for you and this is one of them other than soundcloud numbers i don't pay attention to them as much kate our marketing manager keeps tabs on the analytics for our, our company overall and shares those with us and we review those regularly but other than soundcloud numbers i don't pay a lot of attention to them 
I do notice when an episode spikes, but that could be for multiple reasons. So you could have had a high profile guest. Maybe it was the CEO of a company and they have 700 employees in their business. And that guest was on that week and you suddenly had a thousand listens or, or 500 listens, whatever it might be. That is driven by that personality. Or it could be the subject. And I hate this to some degree, but I rely on our right. user feedback. In our case, the purpose of the podcast is to inspire entrepreneurship. And I know we're doing a decent job when people I respect email me to mention how crucial yep. an episode was for them. And the way I'm thinking is if somebody with that kind of success track record was impressed by a conversation we had with another entrepreneur, then that's about as strong a feedback yep. channel totally as you can agree. have. The interesting thing about it is that's the second reward to the work. To me, the first reward is doing work you're proud of. The second reward is honestly impressing the people you want to impress. And I don't say that from an ego perspective. I say that from the fact that you want to deliver right. on your right. brand promise. No, I, I think that that's a great answer. And I know that you and I have, you know, long thought about this in any of the work that we've done together. And I think that, you know, on one hand, you can be very, very focused on data and analytics. And I think you should be because I think that tells one part of the story. But um, I tend to agree with you that you want to have that quality engagement, rather have the quality engagement than having 10,000 listens or 100,000 listens and knowing that the majority of those are low quality. Right. I think that that's always the best feedback. And I think it always makes you feel great because, you know, you're having an impact on people. You know, I, I certainly get the odd email as well, and I can't imagine how many you get. So that's uh, power to the quality of the content. So moving forward with, with that line of thinking, the ability to tie business results to a specific podcast or just podcasting in general, is that something that you... Uh, are focused on in any direct way, or is that more of an indirect thing? And what advice would you have for people that are trying to tie a specific uh, um, episode or just their podcast undertaking period to generating tangible business? If you want metrics that tie directly to sales and you want a linear path, you'll discover instead a rabbit trail that I mentioned before. Right. Lots of zigs and zags. So if you, if you, Mark, have you ever, Mark, let me ask you this. Have you ever chased a rabbit? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they they have them in Toronto? Yeah, they do have them here in Toronto, but I would say that rabbit is common skew. Right. You know? <laughs> so, you know, if you take a 20,000 foot view, you can see where the trail ends. But if you're down there on the ground chasing it, it doesn't feel like it all the time. So that doesn't sound like yeah. a very intelligent answer to a very sophisticated question, but- I think that's your way of saying that your answer was actually the sophisticated one and the question was just stupid. <laughs> Not at all. For example, we love to inspire entrepreneurs. That's our goal. And if that's the goal, and this is, and by the way, let me answer it. Let me answer it a different way. One of the podcasts that I respect is Sam Cabert's podcast, What Up Silicon Valley? And here's why. Sam runs a small business and wanted to make an impact in that market, you know how hard it would be to make an impact in Silicon Valley as a distributor. Yep. Incredibly difficult. Yep. So what Sam did shrewdly was created this really cool, spontaneous seeming podcast episode where he went to interview business owners about their experience or high profile personalities. And he's literally landing business over this. It's not a question anymore of will this tie to yep. business results? It's a question of when. Yep. So it's never yep. if, it's only when. And yep. just like most things, if you're willing to invest the time and energy into it, you will likely see a return more likely than not. If you, you know, master just some of the basics. Another way of looking at this is community building, right? So right. if you're, if you're in the business of 
creating community and adding value to, to a community. And it could be a community of prospects. It could be a community of customers. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. It's a community of people that are right. somehow tied to your business. That if you're generating value for that, uh, for that particular community of people, then uh, business will will almost assuredly always result from that. And unless there's some massive disconnect between the value you're offering and the business that you're in. <laughs> right. Um, right. So, but that, that would be unusual. Um, I mean, most people that there would be some connection. So I agree with you that what Sam has done is super interesting in that he's been able to carve out this interesting voice in a very crowded market, connect mm-hmm. on this, you know, very interesting level with people, you know, connecting with, with people through, through their ears, right. Through this audio experience, which is quite intimate. Yeah. They see him as a leader in marketing, as a thought leader that is asking good questions about the, the craft of uh, branding and marketing within Silicon Valley. Then it's not that crazy to think that Sam, who also has a promotional products business in Silicon Valley that stands for all the things that he's talking about will be the beneficiary of, of some business. So I think I think that's the better way of right. looking at it as opposed to, hey, I just did this episode and a bean counter is standing there going, well, how many orders did we get from this episode that took us 2.3 hours to produce? I, I think that's the, the, the wrong yeah. way of answering that question, which could frustrate someone who is highly analytical and wants to see a direct line. I, I, I don't think that exists. Not only that, contrast young Sam, the salesperson out prospecting for business and unable to have a single intelligent, engaging conversation with any prospect that he runs into practically. Contrast that with how he engages business owners and businesses with the podcast. Immediately, there's an intimacy, there's an openness, and you get to have a dialogue that you crave as a salesperson at a 10,000 foot level that leads to business. So it's just not a question of if, if you do things right, it's just a matter of when. Yeah, exactly. It's a great, it's a great point. And I think it's um, a great exclamation point for anyone that is trying to think about whether this is a worthwhile investment of time. Okay. So how long does it take you to prepare for a typical podcast interview? Depends on the guest, but I would say an hour to two hours. That includes question prep, writing the questions down. What about you? You know what I love about this discussion so far? (laughs) What? Is that (laughs) it's just so great. And I see it a little bit in myself, but it's like you have this like this natural desire to always want to talk about something from a certain perspective. Okay. So for you, you're like, I want to be rising up to talk about this from 10,000 feet. And then I'll ask the question, okay, so Bobby, let's talk about analytics tools. And you're like, (laughs) well, here's what I think about analytics. (laughs) Analytics is not necessarily all that it's, you know, meant. Right. To be you. And I'm a little bit like that too. So wait, Mark. Yes. So I have a story about this. Everybody's going to handle how they approach a guest in a podcast different. One of my favorite stories is you and I had a podcast episode that we recorded together live in front of the guest. So it was face to face. And I had meticulously prepared the questions like I always do for an episode and sent them yes. to you, sent them to you in advance of the interview. We get to the interview. I look over across the table and you are opening the file for the first time one minute before we hit record. And I'll be damned if you didn't have the most 
intelligent questions to ask in the entire interview. <laughs> well, let's publish the interview and see what people think. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. We did publish it. I won't tell, I'm not saying okay. which one it was, but it, here's, here's my point. My point is you're going to have different personalities that are working on this. If you're on a team and you have two people, maybe you decided you're going to do this as a team. You're both going to bring your particular personalities and your specific skill sets to the project. And I think it's important that you kind of respect those different approaches and just let them blend together in the way that, and think about the outcome. Okay. So on that point, I think I know which interview you're speaking about, but it, it probably defines how I have approached most interviews with you over the last you know couple of years. And I think it's by no means does that suggest lack of research or a lack of commitment to the guest. Uh, it, it actually could be not more opposite than that because I spent some time earlier on in this episode talking about how I'll spend the time preparing and, and thinking about things. I think for me, the reason why I do that and almost prefer not even to look at your questions is because I've thought about the conversation in my own way. And if I read, and you'd be the same way, if I gave you the questions, this is why you probably hate this interview because I gave you these questions. You're like, these are not the questions I want to answer. But so like, I'm I'm sort of dictating this, that <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be swayed by what it is that you have prepared. And I almost feel like if we're doing something together, that it's better for me to be yeah. riffing off of what you have, off your main points, because I've already done research on all the same things. Yeah. I just might be asking a question from a slightly different yeah, perspective. Now you could say, hang on a second, I call BS right. and this guy's just a joker, which is maybe true. But I, I think that that has allowed us to work, I think, relatively well in a common interview situation. Um, yeah. So that, that's the reason I'm doing it. It's not because I think your questions are stupid. That's a great point though. I, I think it's a really good point because you're trying to bring that, you know, you respect the value of that spontaneity, which is what radio really is. Even if it's carefully scripted, even if it's carefully yeah, constructed. E exactly. Okay. So I'm, I, I'm curious to get into this idea of editing a podcast or just publishing it from the floor. Now, I know that you've said that you spend a lot of time, you said mm -hmm. the real work happens after the interview because of removing the ums and ahs and, you know, dealing with the audio uh, issues in the background. And then I think you spend most of your time just moving things around because the person may have made a point at minute four and then finishes the point at minute 21. When is it appropriate to not right. take that highly produced edited approach and just literally, you know, spending the time to remove a couple ums and ahs, uh, remove any background noise, but for the most part, just publishing the thing right from the floor. Without a doubt, there are episodes that you can just record, print, do a little bit of editing and then publish. The good thing about Mark, you and I talking about this topic today is that we're just like everyone else. We're involved in a business where we have multiple priorities. So producing a podcast is one of many, putting on events writing content, in your case, managing a team, managing a business. So podcasting is something that you're doing alongside a host of other priorities. So you want to give the kind of attention and love you would like to, to every episode, but you can't. So there has to be a lot of flexibility in terms of your output. And why the distinction? Sometimes you will just have a spectacular guest right. that you want to print and publish right away for whatever reason. Maybe the spontaneity was recaptured well throughout the conversation. Maybe it was a tone. Maybe it was a, a feeling but you know you can just practically print and publish it. But then this is the embarrassing part. Sometimes it can take me up to four to six hours to edit an episode. 
when you add up the cumulative time to produce a podcast from question prep to guest scheduling to recording to editing to writing and publishing, you have on average, I'm going to say six to 12 hours, depending on your recording time. I've recorded with guests cleanly in 45 minutes and you could ship it, print it as is. But I've also had, as I mentioned, two hour conversations, you could, you need to edit down to 30 to 40 minutes. So there are extremes, but let me suggest this. So I don't know that it will always take that long. I'm getting faster. But my suggestion is if you have a colleague you, who you partner with or you help yeah. democratize the workload, Mark, when you and I were working together on the Promo Kitchen podcast, we had a pretty good rhythm. I would schedule, I would kick off the question prep or you would, and we would, yeah. we would boot around this Google Doc that we worked on as we progressed. But we seem to have a pretty good rhythm as we work together. My point is the editing process, yeah. depending on the type of show you want to produce, can take hours or you can print and ship it. And there's something like Sam's podcast. I, I don't know how much editing Sam does, but there's a spontaneity yep. to his brand and there's a spontaneity to his feel. Like the podcast is called What Up Silicon Valley. I would suspect that he likely pr records print ships almost right. from, from the right. get-go. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think it depends on the kind of show that you want to have and uh, what, what learner outcomes you want right. your audience to walk away with. Let, let's talk about how you map out content, um, whether it could be on blog content or on podcasting content. Do you have a calendar that you add content to? And if so, what's the, how does it keep you on track? We have a content calendar for not only the, the blog posts that we write, the series that we will run, but also the Skewcast episode as well. As a team, we'll kick around ideas is usually via email. Mark, you're typically the genesis for lots of the ideas that we have, and Catherine too. And every week, we'll actually review the content calendar and see what we're going to be publishing right. in the upcoming week and weeks. I recommend a content calendar from the simple yeah. reason that it's just, it's tracks. You will derail and you yep. will shift. Yep. You will change tracks all the time. It's a very malleable device, but it is also right. something that will just help keep you on the rails. I think, Mark, I think you, you're you really good at this. You, I, I think you should define the type of show you want, build a content calendar, but then treat that as a very flexible document that helps guide right. your process. I'm actually not so sure whether I'm sp very good at this at all. So I, I will refuse your compliment there, or I will not accept it. I think that <laughs> whenever I've done any anything around podcasting, it's always probably tended to be a little bit more spontaneous, but I will say that that's in a different environment, right? So my, my specific experiences with Promo Kitchen podcast, where it feels like it's more spontaneous and more fluid, as opposed to sitting there mapping out six months down right. the road, here's what this particular uh, podcast is going to be about. And and some of that is because it's a, a volunteer thing, and there's just not necessarily the time to focus on planning that far out. Um, right. Whereas Skewcast is actually incorporated into a business and it's just got very different, very different objective. I think that said, I think the way that I just approach things in general is just a little different than yours is probably a little bit more spontaneous in general, which I'm not so sure is necessarily a good thing, but um, I would echo your comments that having a content calendar so that you know what content you're producing. And I don't want to be crass by saying what business objective it ties into. That's not quite what I mean, but you can maybe say what what's the purpose of this specific podcast? What are we trying to drive awareness of I think is maybe more what I what what I mean. Whereas in the promo kitchen environment, it's it's much more macro. It's much more, hey, here's an interesting person. It's not necessarily timely, although there are some 
timely episodes that we do. But if it's not timely, it's just an interesting conversation and we just get it in when it's convenient for all parties, given that it's a volunteer situation. And somehow that approach seems to work. Bobby, how do you prepare for an over-the-internet interview versus one that is in-person? You and I may differ on this, but I prefer an internet interview to an in-person interview any day. And of course, I have a story for this. There was this recluse that lived deep in the woods, no mark, it wasn't me, who was breaking into winter vacation homes to forage for food. And after years of eluding people, they finally caught him. And he had, as he came back into society, he had a difficulty talking to people face-to-face. And I'll never forget his response to why it was so difficult. He said, have you ever read a face? There's so much information there. So there's so much information being transferred from the face, from the body gestures, from the persona of the person, even what a guest wears that can be distracting to the purpose, which is to try and capture an intimate conversation, an honest conversation about a topic. But the voice is pure. It can speak untruths, but you can't really misinterpret like you can face to face. So for me personally, I prefer over the internet. Now on the positive side, what I'm suggesting is this intimacy. The more it's ironic that you have this distance, but you're suddenly locked into a private conversation, like a private room that everyone will hear. And there's just something about the paradox of all that, that I absolutely love. But you've done live in-person interviews that I think have been really, really great. Like, how do you like, let's forget about what, what you prefer. How do you approach preparing for them? Great question. What you and I have learned the hard way, the, the biggest, like the biggest tip I would give for in-person interviews is to not have the interview before the right. interview. You and I were in Dallas when we first, I think, discovered this. Yes. I, I remember we were about to interview Paul with PPAI. Yes. And I think you or I, I can't remember who did it, turned to the other and said, we have to stop talking we're having the interview before the interview because we wanted to capture the spontaneity. So in terms of like best advice for in-person interviews, that's the biggest tip I think I can share with folks is to not have the interview before the interview. Otherwise, everything will sound rehearsed. Yeah. And the thing is, is the reason you're doing that is very natural. You understand why you're doing that. You're trying to, you're trying to make them feel comfortable. You're trying to make yourself feel comfortable. There's some small talk. There's you know, often right. some real gems that come out and, and just the way a guest will speak to you before yeah. they're on air is just different, right? It's just, they, right. they, they stiffen their, their back up a bit. They start answering in a more formal way. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but sometimes you just don't get the real magic. So let's talk about the professionals. What are some non-industry podcasts that are your favorite? And what do you think we can learn from these greats? I just finished listening to all the episodes of Jesse Thorne's amazing podcast series called The Turnaround, where he interviewed famous interviewers, Larry King, Werner Herzog, Harry Gross, yeah. Louis Theroux, Ira Glass, Mark Maron, and more. It's a masterclass of interviewing. I highly recommend it if you're getting into this to listen to those. My personal favorites are On Being with Krista Tippett, yes. WTF with Mark Maron, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, Fresh Air with Terry Gross, and a few nerdy literature podcasts like the BBC World Book Club, the New Yorker podcast like the New Yorker Fiction podcast, and then a few foodie podcasts like The Splendid Table and A Taste of the Past. How about you, Mark? For me, I've been a longtime fan of This American Life. I feel lame because probably everyone would say that. But just from a storytelling and narration perspective, it's incredible. Startup podcast, Reply All 
I love. There's um, a new one by this guy named Nick Bilton called Inside the Hive, which I've enjoyed. Um, it, interesting interviewer and just his approach. It's interesting. Um, there's a great podcast. It's a business podcast called Traction, hosted by a guy named Jay mm. Acunzo, who yeah. is kind of the Bobby Lee Hugh of, of a venture capital firm called Next View Ventures, based out of Boston and New York. And he talks a lot about early stage traction and how to grow a technology business. And of course, that's very applicable to what we're doing at Common Skew. So, and I love his his approach. He's just a very down to earth interviewer. has has a lot uh, a lot of game that he brings to the table. Planet Money. I I love that podcast because I think it does a great job of explaining some pretty nerdy and boring economics topics in a way that is engaging and not so intimidating. They're great great storytellers. And and of course Skewcast. I mean that's just it's phenomenal. <laughs> Sorry, that that's the industry. That's industry. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, let me ask you. Let me ask you this next question. What are some of your favorite industry podcasts and why? So uh, I, I agree. I really, I really get a kick out of what Sam uh, Cabert's doing. I think it's just it's raw, it's crazy, right. it's frenetic. It's almost stressful listening to it sometimes, just because Sam is like so high wire. And Sam, if you're listening to this, I mean that as a total compliment. Right. You know, because it just meshes so well with with who Sam is, right? Yeah. So he he wears his uh, personality and sleep in that podcast. Bill Petrie and Kirby Hossaman, I think, do a great job with it Unscripted. And it's interesting, you know, my relationship with Unscripted has evolved over the over the years. Now, full disclosure, Common Skew has been a sponsor of Unscripted for a few months now. And, uh, and, we, and we do that and we certainly see great results from it. And it's great to support Bill and Kirby, who I think are among some of the best content creators in the industry. But here's what I was going to say. When I first started listening to Unscripted, I was like, I'm not sure about this. Right. And and I can say this, and Bill and Kirby are probably gonna listen to this, that I was like, I'm not sure if this is gonna fly. Like I was enjoying it, but I wasn't sure whether it was gonna necessarily continue or have legs. And I can tell you now, I, I subscribe to it, I listen to these guys on my walk into work, and I find them hilarious. And I'm now to a point where I actually don't feel it's a quote unquote industry podcast, which even suggesting it's an industry podcast would suggest it's not nearly as good as some of the other ones. And, and, and I, I just think they bring, they bring a lot of humor. I think they're very on point yeah. and I think very well-spoken and I love what they're doing. So Bill and Kirby with Unscripted. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of industry podcasts out there. I can I, can I mention something about Bill and Kirby show? Yeah. Here, here's what I like about Bill and Kirby show. It takes a lot of courage and work to put on a weekly show and very few people can pull off Spain, spontaneity well. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I emailed this to Bill recently. I, I told him he's a great extemporaneous thinker. Yeah. And so to, to have the guts to put on a show every week and to just fire up the mics and do that, immense respect for what they're doing. Yeah. So Bobby, what traits define a great interviewer versus a mediocre one? I'll quote Larry King here, being the dumbest person in the room. It's tempting to opine on a topic all the time, particularly when you've been in business for a while. And so you and I, Mark, you probably experienced this a lot. I experienced this a lot. You bite your tongue a yeah. lot because you want to be able to, to offer an opinion or share an experience, but that you're not the guest, you're the host. And you know, David Letterman was distant. He was aloof as a person. I now realize this was more than just personality. By not digging in relationally with his guests prior to the show, he was able to be spontaneous and ask open, honest questions. He prevented this, let's choreograph the conversation 
aspect about it that sometimes happens before interviews. So you want enough information to ask intelligent questions, but you don't want to know the answers. So I think what defines a great interview is just going back to Larry King. A friend of Larry's said to him, Larry, the reason you're so good at interviewing people is because you're the dumbest right. person in the room. Right. Which of course he's not, but right. you're right. I think that it's it's striking that balance, right? Of not just being someone who asks questions, but you're also wanting to make sure that you're showing respect yeah. and that empathy to the guest, giving them the opportunity to answer in a, in a real and authentic way, but then also as the interviewer, making sure that you can jump in, not in a way that you take over the interview, but in a way that you can represent the conscience, the audience, as I've said before, and, and move things. From a business, from business podcast, something that happens a lot with guests is they have their business persona on and they have their three points that they want to make, or maybe they've just launched some big initiative, just like anyone, like an artist that just launched an album or wrote a book, launched a show. They want to talk about that and that's okay. But I think the great, uh, you know, I think what separates a mediocre interviewer from, from the great interviewer is trying to see beyond what's being promoted so that you can get to the human element of Frankly, I don't know how else to say this. It's going to sound really pathetic. Real life issues that yeah. get close to the marrow. And you're good at this where you sort of slice and scalpel a topic until we get down into the heart of it. What three SKUcast episodes would you consider must listens and why? I already mentioned the episode with Casey Shore of Printfection. Yes. But I will say my reasons for liking an episode are going to be different than a listener's reasons. For example, maybe it was um, some kind of technical snafu that plagued the entire interview, but we were able to rescue yep. it. But that episode with Casey Shore of Perfection was one example. Not only is it fantastic because he has a fantastic story, but also we, we had all kinds of problems technically with that episode. Oh my gosh. Did we ever? Yeah. I remember. Yeah. The episode. And, and when you go back and, and Mark, I want to confess something. If you go back and listen to that episode, what you don't know, I've not done this with an episode since. So I don't want anyone to think I spend this amount of time on, on an episode. I re-recorded every question I had for Casey for that episode. And here's the reason. Because he went to so much trouble to try and help us rescue that episode, technically. This was early on, so we were having problems. It wasn't our fault. We had problems with the platform. That I, I really didn't feel like bugging him for another hour or two of a conversation. And I thought I could just edit my way through this. So I ended up splicing multiple parts of the conversation around. I don't think there was a single linear part in that conversation that happened the way it re was recorded and I re-recorded the questions. That sounds contrived. If you go back and listen to it, I think we pulled it off. But my second episode, Todd Potterbaum with QRG, because he was the only interview I failed to write questions for, which is ironic because he and I are both intense preparers, both of us. We love to be prepared, but he handled it masterfully. It was a great episode. Jake Malishkovich of Promo Dealer. Oh, yeah. That episode is called AdWords Process and the Tireless Optimism of the Immigrant's Entrepreneurial Journey. And that episode is spectacular purely because Jake is a spectacular personality. Yes. Very well spoken. Brandon McKay with Snugs because of the story it leads with. Not only just Brandon because he's a generous, honest guy. When you and I were capturing that recording, we were in the break room prior to recording and I was in another conversation, but I heard Brandon start to tell a story and I wasn't sure what it was, but something in the tone told me it was substantial and it was very unique. So Mark, you might remember when we recorded, we were done with the interview. The mics were still hot. I asked Brandon to share something about a story I heard him tell in the break room. And I knew when he started to tell the story that I would splice that into the beginning of the episode for dramatic effect. Yes. And I think it works. So I like that episode for that reason. Not only is it just a really good episode to listen to all the way through, yep. but because of what we were able to pull off technically. And then lastly, the episode you and I recorded, Mark, at Expo, an episode on podcasting called Find Your True Voice, how a podcasting class led to discovering your unique, unique value proposition. Yes. That's actually one of my favorites too. Yes. And you? Well, I'm, I'm biased 
when I say this, although I want to remove the bias, the podcast where Catherine delivered her financial metrics presentation at SKU Camp, yeah. I thought was really great. And you know, what's interesting is that Catherine is not a podcaster. She hasn't really done any of this stuff. And while that wasn't really a podcast per se, just from a presentation perspective, I just thought it was absolutely excellent and totally on point. And it was, it was neat to be able to listen to that in person, but then to interact with that content at a whole different level through through audio. Yeah. So I thought I thought that was really uh really worthwhile. I agree with you on the Brandon McKay uh, podcast, the one that we did in Utah was really interesting and just, you know, from a guy that started in a in a business that had a few employees i think he was like employee number 9 if i remember correctly and how he was able to move throughout this organization ultimately head it up and be generating this 40 million dollars plus in business i just think was like an extraordinary achievement and just just a guy who had a real humility to him and didn't really look like your average CEO. Now, I don't even really know what your average CEO should look like. So maybe that's a silly thing to say, but it was just a humility and modesty that stood in stark contrast to the size and enormity and the complexity of this business. It was just amazing to me. Sitting in this same spot, you could kind of see all around him this great level of success. And, you know, he's like this really humble guy that uh, is like, oh, shucks, you know, I didn't really... uh, I don't really want to take uh, credit for it. So I I just think that that was just a real interesting story. All right, Bobby, in wrapping this up, uh, so we started podcasting, I think it was about seven years ago. I remember you brought two mics to an NALC, PPAI (laughs) NALC that uh, I believe it was in Denver, if my memory serves me correct. And I remember you said, hey, we should like try podcasting and uh, I'll bring two mics or maybe it was just one mic you had and we'll go and see if we can interview some people. I'll bring my computer, I'll bring a mic and we'll just we'll get it done. And I remember we had a couple of interviews with people. Anyways, I think that was about seven years ago. And we, in some form or another, have just continued in this in this medium since then. What advice would you give to a seven-year younger Bobby Lehu on podcasting now? Um, chill the fuck out. Don't be so nervous. Relax. Hang on. You were, you were pretty high-strung before this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But this is, like I told you, I worry projects into existence. But chill a little bit, man. Don't be so nervous. Relax and have fun. But here's the secret. Here's why I'm saying it. Here's what I didn't know back then. You actually control more of the outcome than you realize. So if you're worried about the output and you're not, so, so for example, I'm just not a spontaneous person. And so that makes me nervous. But you realize with this kind of medium, you actually control a lot more of the output than you realize. Number two, rescue the rambly bits. I already mentioned that. Make your guests look good. That's an interesting little secret is making sure your guests look good. You want an honest conversation. So you don't want it just to be spit and polish, but you want to make your guests look good. And then number three, you will never produce the technical quality you are aiming for, but you should always strive to capture the story. Right. I already mentioned that podcasting, according to Jessica Abel, is the most fertile ground for narrative nonfiction in English language media. That's what you should strive for. And then number four, you won't resolve the conflict of multiple priorities. Right. I produce a podcast. We write articles. I help you host conferences. I consult with customers. I write copy, do presentations, do webinars. I do a number of things that will occupy my creative time. And as much as I want to make it this American in life, you only have a certain allotment of time. You won't be able to be as picky as you want to be, and you need to be able to live with the inevitable conflict and be okay with it. Yes. And Mark, you were there seven years ago. You've done this for a while. What advice would you give to Mark Graham? (laughs) I hadn't prepared the answer to that question. Uh, (laughs) 
Look at you. You give like this really great, eloquent, you probably typed it out, you know, four times and you're reading it and it's all super slick. And I, I'm like about to feed you some bullshit. No, not at all. I know it's not. This is going to be classic Graham Lehu. I prepared my answers and you're going to respond with something spontaneous, intelligent, and printworthy. And awful. Okay. So with regard to what I was like seven years ago to how I am now, I think that the biggest thing that I've learned is confidence around the conversation and confidence around your role as the interviewer in the conversation. And I alluded to it before, this idea of striking that balance between a person who just asks questions to being someone who can respectfully insert yourself into the conversation so that you're not taking it over by any means, but that you're a part of the conversation and that you recognize your role is an important one. I've always said representing the conscience of the audience. I kind of feel like I'm the dinner party host and I've got a super smart and interesting guest that I'm trying to bring out as as much as possible into the conversation, but at the same time, inserting myself into that conversation. And so I, I remember back in the early days that I would spend a lot of time focusing on just the questions and researching and asking those questions in a specific order. And I think it came across as okay, but I know that some of the better pieces of work that I've ever produced in more recent years have been a mix of total spontaneity mixed with having a good framework that I know I can jump around in. So I think it really just comes down to that confidence that you as the interviewer, maybe I'm disagreeing with you in terms of what you're saying about the interview being the dumbest person in the room. Although I think that that's a little bit of a quote unquote. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I think that the interviewer needs to have a confidence and mojo about them, but never Cross the line of taking over from your guest and outshining them. Because if you're outshining them, usually you're just a blowhard and you've got nothing good to say. <laughs> so I think for me, striking that balance is probably probably the best piece of advice that I would give myself seven years ago. Yeah. Make sure that you're, you're not so uh, stiff. Yeah. And see, damn it, you did it. I knew that would happen. You didn't prepare to answer that effing question and you did. (laughs) And it bothered me that I'm like, actually, I think it's important to be the smartest person in the room. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but uh, so, so here's, yeah, I think this is interesting. So I, I, I did a, a, a podcast with, uh, on the on promo kitchen podcast with Chuck Fandos. Right. Okay. And, that was one and, of my favorite episodes, by the way. And it was, okay. So let, let's state very clearly up front that I am not nearly as smart or as experienced as Chuck. Okay. He has done a lot of great things in, in his business career. And I was interviewing him about how he sold his business, what steps he went through to sell that business, and what it was like now working in a private equity controlled, uh, much larger global distributor, how he was balancing the distributor needs with what he was building at Facilis. All those things that I had no experience in whatsoever. I think that in that interview, Chuck was very much the smartest guy in the room. The thing that I learned in that conversation is that if I could be this curious person that could weigh in on maybe some limited topic or maybe something that was like tangentially related to what he was talking about, then that would be my contribution to the discussion, but it would not, not outshine him. It would not debate him. It would not, it wouldn't take away from the experience and expertise that he was bringing to the table. Right. So I think for me that that was maybe a good example of the yin and yang between interviewer and guest. Yeah. Great example. All right, man, we're done. (laughs) That's it. We're done. Hey, Mark, thanks. You made this painless. This was the most painful part of my day. (laughs) 
<laughs> Don't doubt that. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Skewcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to Skewcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.